I'm Kayla, and this is High Crime, and this week things are just crazy, and I happen to be free on a, well, I'm not going to say what night it is, because you don't need to know that it's the weekend. <laughs> I decided to do it now with my roommate, so I'm joined by... Hi guys, my name is Comfort Andrews. So, um, yeah, here we go. Yeah! Woo! <laughs> Alright, so... In 2014, a photo of a young black boy wearing a blue fedora and with tears streaming down his face as he hugged a cop in riot gear uh, at a Black Lives Matter rally went viral. Because, of course, it did. Because he's hugging a white cop in riot gear. Oh, wow. Yeah, Mm -hmm. he's, like, really crying. Yeah. And uh, Mm -hmm. so that is Devante Hart. He is one of Jennifer and Sarah Hart's six adopted children. The previous year, he had been captured on video at the Beloved Festival, uh, Sacred Art, Music, and Yoga. He was wearing a zebra costume, carrying (laughs) a free hug sign, and he had Beloved, like, shaved into his head. Aw, that's so cute. Um, So at one point in this video, uh, this guy is, like, shirtless. His name is Xavier Rudd. And he was, like, on stage, like, playing guitar or whatever, like, really into the music. Mm-hmm. He beckons for Devante. And so Devante comes up. They hug for, like, a minute. And then, like, you know, he, Devante has tears in his eyes. He's, just like, a very emotional boy. And he's gone viral, like, multiple times. Okay. So the Hearts were really into transformational festivals. Their six children would dress up and carry motivational signs. And people just, like, found them to be such an inspiration. And they were, they called themselves, and other people called them, the Heart Tribe. Because they were this, like, you know, eight-strong, like, big family that would do all this stuff together. Yeah. A lot of love. So, we are going to go talk about how this family started. Okay, cool. So... Jen and Sarah Hart met at Northern State University in Aberdeen, South Dakota. There is no one out there. <laughs> and that just made me think of, um, there's an episode of Friends where they play this game where they time you and you have to write as many state capitals as you can. Mm-hmm. And there's like always a bunch you forget. And they, Chandler was teasing Monica about how many she forgot. I don't remember the number. But he like he's like unless you get forget like this many and Monica's just like nobody cares about the Dakotas. <laughs> it's true. I don't even yeah. know like who lives there. I don't know. <laughs> so oh so this was in the late nineties and being gay was very difficult. Yeah. Even more so than it is now, which is hard to imagine. Not because people didn't have a heart, but because things suck now. Yeah. <laughs> For years, Jen and Sarah told people that they were roommates or friends or, like, they hid it for a long time because they were in this, like, small Midwestern town. But Jen's, uh, Jen was an, I'll get more into this, but Jen was, like, an avid Facebook poster. Like, she'd write these, like, long details and, like, sappy messaging and, like, all this stuff. Yeah. But so in one, one of her Facebook posts, she wrote... Midwestern mindset was oh oh no okay so she wrote the Midwestern mindset was relentlessly unforgiving and then she wrote this really long post but part of it is the truth of our love was clouded with fear fear of rejection from family and friends fear of being unwanted unloved fear of not being able to get a job 
fear of acts of violence, fear of not being able to have a family, fear of walking through this life alone with our love, keeping it a secret. They moved to Alexandria, Minnesota, and began working at a department store called Her Burgers. It's a true story. It's really its name. <laughs> a, former, a former co-worker and friend, Jordan Smith, described Jen as tall, confident, assertive, very intimidating, and abrasive. Aww. <laughs> she sounds lovely. <laughs> Jordan worked, like I said, Jordan worked with them at Her Burgers. This was in 2004. And... I wonder if Her Burgers is still around. Yeah, I don't know. Anyone from Minnesota, if you know, tell us. But so, one anecdote, Jen, or one anecdote Jordan told about Jen is... There was a time when she found a mannequin's nipples to be sexist. What? So <laughs> she hauled the mannequin, like on the spot, she hauled the mannequin into the back room and sawed it, sawed the nipples off. I didn't even know mannequins had nipples, but like, Well, that's wow. probably her issue. She's yeah. probably like, why does this woman have nipples? Like, the guys don't. Like, they're just mounds. Like, they're not. Um, but yeah, so she took it in the back and fucking sawed the nipples off. That's badass, Loki, though. <laughs> Sarah on the other hand was described as more emotional and stressed same (laughs) a friend from college later said there were warning signs from Jen because of how she exerted complete control over Sarah yeah Uh, in 2004 Sarah and Jen took in a 15 year old foster daughter they would talk shit about the teenager to friends and coworkers. At one point, Jen was telling her coworkers that she was eating out of the garbage. That is disgusting. And it seemed like coworkers and friends said that it seemed like they saw her as more of like like a pet because that's what it yeah, seems like. but like also a burden as opposed to like a child that they voluntarily like wow. said they would care for. Yeah, wow. <clears throat> one day, the department store they worked at was giving away free makeovers. So they brought in their foster daughter. They had her work with their friend Jordan because she was also a teenager. And she didn't speak. Whenever Jordan asked her a question, Jen would jump in and answer. Oh, Jen would say stuff like, oh, she's not much of a talker, you know, so that she would control the conversation. And Jen and Sarah seemed annoyed by the foster daughter because she wasn't enjoying it more. And it's like, we came into work on a day that we don't work to give you this makeover and you're going to be ungrateful. How dare they? <laughs> the foster daughter later, like years and years later, came out and did interviews and said she was a tomboy when she was a teen. She didn't want to, she didn't like makeup. Like she felt uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. She also said that she never ate from the garbage. And Jordan, who the one who did her makeup, she said, she wasn't being difficult at all. She wasn't being annoying or rude. She said to her, she seemed insecure and she seemed like she was very, very intimidated by Jen. The, the, oh, this part, this part is fucking rough. So she later also said that Jen and Sarah had told her that they were looking into it at like adopting a bunch of kids and they would show her the pictures and they were like, You know, you can be their big sister because they had agreed to watch her until she was 18. Okay. And so she's, like, all excited. She's like, I get to be a big sister. Except that's not what happened. In reality, they dropped their foster daughter off at a 
therapist's office and no, just they didn't. never picked her up again. No, the, no, they didn't. Yeah. She, what type of losing Isaiah type shit is this? They, she never <laughs> heard from, she never heard from them again. And she ended up being dropped off at a different foster house. And when she got there, all of her stuff was there. So they like had it planned already? Yeah. And she's, she told the Seattle Times that she w- she remembers feeling abandoned because fucking of course you do. Oh well, yeah. And feeling devastated, which is really sad. Uh, and the only reason I'm not saying her name, like I'm not trying to not value her, but she wanted to be kept anonymous. So okay. the sources I was looking at, her name wasn't in it. In 2006, Jen and Sarah adopted three black children. And the only reason I'm saying that they're black is because Jen and Sarah are both white. Uh, and they're living in these areas that are small and predominantly white. And like, I'll get more into it. But so they adopt these three children. Marcus was seven at the time. Hannah was four and Abigail was two. And just two years later, the Hearts adopted three more kids. Uh, five-year-old Devante, four-year-old Jeremiah, and three-year-old Sierra. And their adoption was particularly weird because Devante, Jeremiah, and Sierra had been living with their aunt, whom they, like, loved. Like, she was a part of their family. The reason that they were with their aunt is because their mom had a drug problem, and so the aunt took care of them, but she also, like, had to work a lot of jobs to take care of three kids. Mm-hmm. And the one day her babysitter fell through, and she couldn't miss work, and so she called their mother to come watch them, and she said that she, said that she was clean at the moment. And it's like, she's like, I wasn't giving them to her but I just needed her to watch them while I was at work right for whatever reason child protective services checked in on them that moment because the kids were in the care of the mother again they took the kids away so the aunt was like desperately trying to adopt them and they wouldn't let her wow and some people later say like was it a race thing like were they just eager to give these kids these little black kids to these two white women like they had an aunt who like was willing and ready to take them like yeah. it's just it's very strange that is a little strange especially if the aunt was like their family yeah they pretty much chose a stranger over their family yeah it's it's really strange like if there <clears throat> is a family member available who wants to take care of them like it just doesn't it doesn't seem right to go with someone else yeah i can only imagine what kind of kids are i know because they were young but not too young to remember anything yeah uh At that time, Sarah worked as a manager at Kohl's, and Jen stayed home to take care of their now six children. In September of 2008, a teacher spotted bruising on Hannah's arm. She told the teacher that her parents had hit her with a belt, and nothing came out of this incident legally, but Jen and Sarah pulled all their children out of school for a full year. Because of that? Yeah, because I guess they didn't want... They started getting unwanted attention, and they were like, okay. Uh, In November of 2010, teachers found signs of abuse on Abigail, who was six at the time. And she said, this is rough, she said her mother had held her head under cold water and punched her because they found a penny on her, and they thought she had stolen it. A penny? Yeah. One cent? Yep. Oh, my gosh. No, this Where is in the, and, the and it's in the two it's in the two thousands. It's not like this is like in the eighteen hundreds and yeah. like if any coin matters, like a fucking penny. Do you hear how brutal that is? Punched her in the head? Yeah. <laughs> 
Police interviewed the rest of the Hart children. They all admitted that they were beaten, denied food, and grounded. Uh, Neighbors said they rarely saw the kids leave the house. Sarah took the blame for all of it. She said that she was disciplining her and it got out of hand, which, like, that still doesn't sound good. Yeah. (laughs) You can't get out of hand when it comes to disciplining your kids. Like, you can't just be like, oh, whoops, beat the shit out of her. (laughs) It got out of hand. That's not a thing. Didn't mean to break your nose. My bad. She was convicted of a misdemeanor domestic assault and sentenced to probation and one year of community service. However, the children were not taken away. Nothing like that was not nothing like no action like that was taken. And after that, they took the kids out of school altogether. That's just weird. Yeah. So now the the only people these kids ever see are their moms and each other. And then they moved again. This time to West Lynn, Oregon. And then I wrote here, I said it earlier, but in everything that I was reading, people were saying it was really problematic, the places they were moving, because there were places where, like, they had all these people on who dealt with, like, adoption and therapy when it comes to being adopted. And they were saying, like, if you are white and you adopt adopt a child who is not, you need to put your kid in situations where they're going to see influences of their same, yeah, like, like who look like background. them. Yeah. And, and they weren't doing that. Like, they were both white. They did whatever they wanted to do. They kept moving from small country town to small country town. Like, that's not the most welcoming place. Right. Because the kids are kind of starting all over from each town, you know? Yeah. In 2013, the family rented a house where they raised goats and chickens in the backyard. And once again, Sarah worked and Jen stayed home with the kids. And this is when Jen got super, super into Facebook. She would she would document everything the kids did. They would stage these photo shoots where it's like the kids were like, they've been painting little mini Pollocks and like <laughs> all this shit. But uh, so she would post pictures of them on Facebook all the time and write about like their happy mixed family and like all this. It would be like really long winded posts about everything. Yeah. And about being gay and, like, all this kind of stuff. And some people saw through this act not enough. Um, They said, the kids pose and are made to look like one big happy family. But after the photo, they go back to looking lifeless. Cool. Yeah. That's weird. And in many sources, the children are referred to as robots who all seemed terrified of Jen. Yeah. (laughs) Um... Authorities visited the Hart family in August 2013, uh, but the children told the same story. They all said there's no abuse. They said they were so, what is it? Um, They were so grateful that their mother saved them. Um, And then Jen would always, anytime an issue came up, Jen would say it's because, like, society doesn't understand the way that, like, their lifestyle. Oh, that's BS. (laughs) Yeah. And it's interesting because, so after the photo of Devante where he's hugging the cop, after that went viral in 2014, yeah. lots of news outlets and like Good Morning America and shit like that, they all reached out to Jennifer and she said no to everyone. And people would ask her like, why, like you could make money off of this. Like, why wouldn't you? And she was like, nothing, like my children's privacy is important and I'm not going to like, you know, use them for attention. Right. But it's like. But she posts on Facebook every day. And she shares the pictures of them. So you're not that worried about their privacy if you're just... Yeah, exactly. Okay. In two... 
2017, the family moved to rural Washington. So again, did not think about their kids when they moved. Their neighbors, the DeKalbs, said that the blinds were always drawn and the kids almost never left the house. In August 2017, Hannah, who was 12 at the time, jumped out of a second-story window and ran next door to get help from the neighbors. The DeKalbs described her as a small, frightened girl wrapped in a fleece blanket. Yeah, she fucking climbed out of a window on the second story to try to run for help. This is like insane. <laughs> yeah. So she gets to the decalb's door. Bruce decalb opens the door and he said the second he opened it, Hannah just like bolted into the house. She he was like, like, who are you? What are you doing here? And she ran right upstairs, hopped on his wife, Dana, who was in bed. She's like, because it was like 1.30 in the morning. And Hannah starts yelling take me to Seattle. Don't take, don't make me go back there. They're racist. They're abusive. They whip us with a belt. And the decals are like, we don't even know where she came from. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't even know. So confused. But unfortunately they weren't confused for long because next thing in that they know they're looking out their window and Jen and Sarah have gotten up the entire rest of the family and brought them outside to look for Hannah. And when Sarah gets to the door, she does the same thing that Hannah did. Like, he opens the door, and they're like, can we search your house? And they're like, no, you can't. And she just walked in and just started looking through their house. Hannah had been crouched down between the bed and a dresser. She started screaming no as Sarah approached. Uh, and Jen was like, because she's the dominant one, she was like, go downstairs. Like, I'm going to take care of this. And they seemed, like, okay, because... Like, it's their moms. Yeah. And she was being nice to Hannah at first. Oh. She was she was being nice to Hannah at first. So Dana was like, okay, like, it's all right. I'll step out and let them have a moment. Mm-hmm. And then Jen said, you need to take the kids and go. Hannah is having a problem with her big brother. And Dana was like, she didn't say anything about her big brother. It sounded more like she was talking about the parents. Mm-hmm. But Sarah is, or Jen is insisting that's what it was. And she said she needed to apologize and was like berating her in front of them. And so she just was like, yes, ma'am. And turned like very robotic and was just doing like whatever she wanted. It's like super fucking weird. And yeah, you think you'd want to look into it, but they didn't because. I mean, any normal person would look into that. Yeah, that's... they. They, no. they didn't because they didn't want to get involved. Wow. Uh, so and up. actually, Dana's dad calls the cops because she told him the story. And he was like, like, my son-in-law doesn't want to get involved, blah, blah, blah. But, like, I would not be able to sleep if I didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, I have, should have had this queued up, but I forgot. There's some kids that I feel is being highly abused. What's the address? And how I know, okay, I'm going to give you the address of my daughter's house because it's right next door. Yeah, if you're going up the road to her house, it's the house on the right. Okay, and what's going on there? Well, they have black children, which that part doesn't matter. They're, they're new here. But the other night, a little girl jumped out of the second-story window on the roof and then down onto the ground and ran to my daughter. And this is like 2 in the morning begging them to help her to help her and when they came looking for her she was begging my daughter not to let them know she was there 
and then eventually my son-in-law let him know he doesn't want to get involved but the more i sit on it i, I just can't live with it somebody's got to okay. go there and check and so how old was the little kid like he is i mean honestly props to him because like yeah, at least he was on something yeah he fucking like how are you not a 12 year old girl climbed out of a second story window how are you not because she was so desperate for help like I understand not taking everything a kid says seriously because you don't want to get someone else in trouble, but, like, you saw that. That was not okay. Yeah. Serious red flags. In March of 2018, Devante went to the decals. Uh, so Jen was apparently an avid gamer, which, like, a lot of people who gamed with her were like, I don't know how she was, what, was – there's no way she was teaching those kids because the amount of time she put into the game alone – she would never have time to homeschool three or six children. Um, but so she was a big gamer. So she was gaming and Devante went to the decalb's house and he asked for food. He said, please don't tell my parents. And then he kept going and he kept going and he even made a list that he like asked them to get. And he said it had to be non-perishables, which makes me think he knows he has to hide it from his mom's. So Bruce and Dana decided to call the cops because obviously if this kid was sneaking over all the time asking for food, they're not getting fed. Oh, I forgot to say that when the father called the police, the cops didn't take the claim seriously. And they were just like, eh, it's not illegal to keep your kids inside. Like they were like very fucking casual about it. What the heck? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, so Bruce and Dana called authorities again on March 23rd. 2018, a CPS worker visited the Hart house. However, unfortunately, no one answered the door, so they just left their card and then left. Wow. With the kids? No, no, no. Like, someone who checked, someone from, like, Child Protective Services. Because, like, the neighbors kept calling and, like, Dana was so excited someone was going to go because she, like, really thought the kids were in trouble, which they were. Uh, But when the CPS person went, they, they weren't there. So... Now things are going to get fucking real. (laughs) On March 25th at 8.05 a.m., Jen Hart was captured on a surveillance camera. Oh, fucking knew I got ahead of myself. Okay. Pretend you heard any of that. (laughs) On March 23rd, 2018. Oh, my God. What the fuck? I'm too high. On March 24th at at 3 a.m., Sarah texted her coworkers at Kohl's to say that she was too sick to open the store. Mind you, you open the store at six, so she only texted them three hours in advance, which was weird from her. Yeah. And that same day, the decals, their neighbors, noticed that not only was the Hart's car gone, but there were cinder blocks all over the Hart's driveway, which suggested that the family had crashed into the retaining wall. They were, like, driving in such a rush to leave that they hit it. Mm-hmm. Now, on March 25th at 8.05 a.m., Jen Hart was captured on a surveillance camera buying groceries at a Safeway in Fort Bragg, California. She was wearing glasses, an ill-fitting hoodie, and friends later said that she looked 25 pounds heavier than they had ever seen her. Which oh. seems like a random burn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jen paid $20.08 in cash, and she bought bananas, saltines, and Chef Boyardee. Hey! Did it roll to her? <laughs> it must have. 
The following day at 1.12 p.m., Sarah's co-worker, Cheryl Hart, not related, uh, she'd had enough, which, like, I don't know if, like, if one of my coworkers didn't show up to work for three days, I'd be like, oh, I guess they're on vacation. Yeah. But, I mean, it's a small town, so I don't know. But anyway, so Cheryl's like, something's not right. I haven't heard from Sarah still. Mm-hmm. So she called the police and asked for a welfare check. On March 26, 2018, a German tourist found a 2003 GMC Yukon XL. It's like an SUV. Yeah. Uh, belly up on the rocks below the Mendocino Cliffs. Oh, no. That's 200 miles north of San Francisco is where the car fell, and the car had fallen more than 100 feet. Later that same day, rescue workers rappelled down the cliff and started kind of looking through the uh, rubble. Sure, we're just going to go with that. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So they found dead in the car 38-year-old Jennifer and Sarah Hart. So they're in the car. Jen had been in the driver's seat. Nearby, they found the dead bodies of three of their adopted children, Marcus, who was 19, Jeremiah, who was 14, and Abigail, who was 13. Their other three adopted children, Devante, Hannah, and Sierra, they just couldn't find them at all. Initially, the police were operating under the impression that this was an accident because no one wants to think that someone would kill their entire family. Yeah. But that's, unfortunately, there's a term for it. It's called a family annihilator. Of course, the investigation and the autopsies. All right. Comfort gave me some weed, and it fucked me up. Dude, we are so... Do you see me right now? Yes. I'm afraid you're going to be asleep every time I look at you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm holding on for dear life. (laughs) Oh, my God. Okay. The autopsy and the investigation start to show a darker story. Ten days later, after his initial announcement, the sheriff had to change his statement from it being an accident to it being a crime. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Duh. Yeah. Uh, the autopsy showed that Sarah Hart had ingested 42 doses of an antihistamine. So that's like 42 doses of Benadryl. Yeah. Uh, wow. Yeah. Marcus would have taken 19.2 doses. Uh, Abigail would have had to take 14 single-dose units, and Jeremiah had 8.8. But this was when they did the autopsy, so this there could have been even more in their system, and it just wasn't. So that's like a fuck ton of... So it's like maybe they like poisoned the kids, because that's a lot. Now, Jen, she had a blood alcohol level of... 0.10, which is about five drinks. Yeah. But friends and family said that she never drank, and so, like, five drinks would, like, really fuck her up. Yeah. Because, remember, Jen was the driver. They also found a very alarming search history on Sarah's phone going from midnight on Friday, the day they ran away, to 6.30 p.m. on Saturday. Here are some of the things she Googled. Can 500 milligrams of Benadryl kill a 120-pound woman? What over-the-counter medications can you take to overdose? How can I easily overdose on over-counter medications? Is death by drowning relatively painless? How long does it take to die from hypothermia in water while drowning in a car? Wow. 
what will happen when overdosing with Benadryl? And the last thing she searched was a for a no-kill shelter for dogs, and they had a dog, so that kind of really fits in with the narrative that they were planning to kill themselves because then they got rid of their dog and they didn't find one in the wreckage. And that night, the heart switched off their car's GPS, and that was the first time they had done that in nine years. So they're going off the grid. And the day before their death, Jen had bought groceries. She bought deodorant and eight toothbrushes at a nearby dollar store, which then is like, why was she buying, like, why would you buy a new toothbrush if you're going to kill everybody? Like, it's, it, it shows that maybe they were, like, maybe they were considering it because they were struggling, but they weren't sure. So this is what, after putting all the horrible puzzle pieces together, the investigators think, that after driving up and down the coast on Sunday, Sarah and Jennifer made their final decision. They drugged the kids, Sarah numbed herself with drugs, and Jen got drunk and finished the job since she was always the one who called the shots. The car's computer revealed that Jen had stopped on a pullout about 70 feet from the cliff, and then she gunned it. Yeah. Oh my god. And no one was wearing a seatbelt. Uh, they had a case regarding this because they had to because it was a homicide and the, you know, the cops were like, it's definitely not an accident. And the jury only deliberated for one hour. So the death certificates for Jennifer and Sarah Hart will be listed as suicide. And the death certificates of all of the children's will now list homicide as the manner of death. One of the members of the jury said that coming up with the verdict wasn't the difficult part, but dealing with the tragedy of that horrible story was the diff- was the hard part. Yeah. And it was unanimous. They all were like, yeah, yeah, they're guilty. For sure. Um, and then the last thing is, so I got a lot, a lot, a lot of my information from this great podcast by Glamour and something else. I don't know. Uh, it's called Broken Hearts, but they did a lot of they do a lot of interviews, and it's just like a really good kind of deep dive. Obviously, doing a deep dive requires a bunch of episodes, and I was not ready for that kind of commitment. But if you want to learn more about this story, Broken Hearts is really great. And one thing they do in Broken Hearts is they tell you a little bit about the kids because the kids are the one who the ones who really suffered through all of this, and like they didn't have a fair shot. No, not at all. So, oh, and they ended up finding a foot that uh, DNA matched uh, Hannah. But so there's still, there's still two children who they just never found them. Yeah, so some people, some people think that they killed them before the ride. So that's why they they couldn't find the bodies. And then... Some people think it's just like, like maybe they escaped and they're living off the grid, which like I think is wishful thinking. What do you think? In the face, like I, I, I can't explain how that they, how they would still be, like how. I totally forgot what I was gonna. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I can't explain why you can't find their bodies, but I feel like. I feel like there's, I mean, I I don't know the statistics on it, but 
falling more than a hundred feet and you don't have a seatbelt on, I feel like the odds of you, I feel like there are better odds that you like flew out of the car than there are that you survived that, mm-hmm. you know? So I don't, maybe, maybe like a wave came or maybe animals took their bodies, which is like horrible. And I hope that didn't happen, but uh, I don't think they survived. But here is a little bit about each of the kids, just so we, you know, remember them. And it's not just this, like, gory story. Yeah. Um, okay. So Marcus. Marcus loved to read. He wanted to change the world. And according to his parents, one year for Christmas, when asked what he wanted, he said he wanted a world with no more cancer. <laughs> Hannah was described as spunky. Her front teeth were missing, and she loved to dance. She once told her mom she couldn't concentrate on subtraction because she had a song stuck in her head. And she was also very brave because she is the one who climbed out of the window to try to get help for herself and her siblings. Yeah. Devante was known for wearing a free hug sign wherever he went. And this sentence is, like, such a hard same because it says, he loved animals and hated Donald Trump. (laughs) um quite a combo there (laughs) who doesn't hate donald trump and who doesn't love animals (laughs) abby wore glasses she loved the color lime green she loved yoga and exploring the wilderness and i read somewhere that she tried to teach their pet chickens yoga (laughs) wow i would love to see a chicken yoga (laughs) you can do yoga with goats seriously yeah do they, like, how? Yeah, they're just, like, there, and they have, like, pictures, and you'll be, like, in child's pose, and there's, like, a cute little baby goat on your back. I would definitely do that. It's, it's so really, cute. yeah, it looks really cute. Um, Jeremiah also wore glasses. They called him the J-Man. Hey, he's cool. <laughs> he was very stoic, um, and reportedly, he wasn't expected to live more than a few days when he was born because of all the drugs in his system because his mother had been addicted to crack. So, Jeremiah had been through some shit. And then, last but not least, Sierra was an animal lover. She adored her kitten named Sebastian, and she would pull him around the house in a cardboard box. So, this kind of reminds me of, of the uh, the Gypsy Rose Blanchard story, because it's like, so many people failed them. Like, there were so many times where they were, like, begging for help, and no one did anything to stop any of this i feel like people didn't do anything because they they were worried about like how they would be perceived or yeah. maybe like they didn't want to get into someone else's business but like when you see stuff like that get involved no and i think you're right and i think that's uh, there's a name for it i can't people like to just avoid things that make them feel uncomfortable yeah and like i can't remember the name for it but the, it was made up after the jitty I really am so high. Right? Kitty <laughs> Genovese. Not Jitty. Kitty Genovese. Her case, she was a woman who lived in New York City. She was stabbed right outside her apartment building. Oh. There were 20 people who could see her from the window. And it was this whole term where it's like, no one called the cops because they didn't want to. They're like, oh, someone else will do it. In actuality, that has been, there's a great documentary called... Nope, I can't remember what it's called. I'll have to look it up and I'll tweet it or something. But there's a great documentary that the brother of Kitty Genovese, like, made. It's, like, some people did call the cops. But the point is just, like, 
if you're like in a city and you hear screaming, you're more likely to close your window than you are to call 911. Yeah. Which is sad. It, it is sad. And yeah. it's like, I understand on one hand that like, if you're wrong, then it's like, you're such a dick. Or like, why did you assume that? Or whatever. But it's like, it's worth the risk of being wrong. Because if you're right, you could save someone's life. But we don't really think that way. Especially probably with social media because we're also like focused on like our brand and in our phones. We yeah. probably don't notice. We're probably not as observant as we used to be. So maybe something is happening right in front of us, but we're not even realizing That's it. That's such a good point. Yeah, that is such a good point. Social media has forced us to just be awkward and not pay attention to people. Yeah. Not even see the signs when things are not okay. Yeah. Yeah, so very sad story. But that podcast was just so good, and it just, like, I had vaguely heard about it, because it wasn't, like, 2018. That's not that long ago. No, yeah. But I feel, and the reason that they made this podcast is because they said when they were, like, they saw an article about it, mm-hmm. and they were like, not enough people are covering this story. Like, this is an insane story. Like, yeah. they people literally thought these girls were perfect, like, they were both beautiful, and they were these successful like white women who adopted these they were like they wanted to be like fucking Angelina Jolie mm-hmm. Angelina Jolie meets Madonna or something yes exactly <laughs> yeah and then they would go to all these festivals to show them off they'd wear like matching t-shirts like look there's a picture they'd wear like matching t-shirts what? and all like and the kids are fucking gorgeous like they're yeah. just absolutely adorable they're so sweet and it's just so sad because they've all been through stuff and it's like you get adopted and like I I, I have I was not adopted but it's like I imagine that's a great feeling if you're like in foster care like getting adopted and so this is supposed to be like their new start and they're deprived of food and they can't be social with anyone but themselves and just like it's just really sad yeah yeah, that's messed up. The people just take advantage. Because what, what, what was the point of that? You know, just. I think it was. I think it was just like they wanted to be perfect, and Jen was like, "This perfect family, you know, will make yeah. it. People will think we're so great." It's hard. It's hard when you use other living beings as a prop in your success story because it's even if it's like a dog, it's just like. No, anyone with any bit of autonomy is going to be able to change your story. Yeah. Honestly, at this point, I don't even know if I'm making sense. <laughs> this weed is very strong. Like Sincerely, like usually with a joint, it hits me immediately. Halfway through the episode of The Bachelor, I was just like, how are we going to record? I'm so stoned. Yeah, it keeps up on you. <laughs> I've been going to different worlds. As you're telling the story, I'm like, whoa. Okay, one last thing before we wrap up. I just want, especially since we were talking about abusive relationships, it's on theme. Um, one of my favorite things streaming right now is the series by Blumhouse called Into the Dark, and it's on Hulu. And every month there's a new kind of horror thriller movie and they're all different takes on the genre like it's not all slashers like they're all every month is different directors different casts so it's like super different and they're all based loosely on the holiday of that month 
And so this month is Valentine's Day. And so the, the movie is called My Valentine. And it's about this kind of like pop singer in the making. And she like meets this guy and they become this like power couple. I, I was like, power team? <laughs> um, <laughs> they become this power couple. And then he doesn't treat her so well. And she finally breaks free from it. And he just picks a new protege and steals all her shit. And the other girl becomes like fucking Ariana Grande famous. But it's a really, it's like super fun and colorful and the music is so fucking catchy. Like I've had this one song stuck in my head and I just heard that they might release the soundtrack on Monday, which would be so fucking dope if they did because it's so good. Um, Maybe I'll play the song for like the outro. (laughs) Um, But I, it's just, it has like Scott Pilgrim vibes. But what I keep saying is it's like Cam meets the Miley Cyrus episode of Black Mirror meets Green Room. So, like, you have your gore, Mm -hmm. you have your crazy costumes, and then you have this, like, identity-stealing thing, and it's also kind of set in this, like, venue that they were performing at, and now it's after hours, and they're locked in there. But it's a really fucking good portrayal of abuse and how people can be emotionally manipulative And why people stay with people like that. Because they just condition you. They they separate you from your friends. Like these moms like kept the kids at home, took them out of school. So you don't have an ally. You never have solid footing because you don't have anyone to ever agree with what you're saying. Mm -hmm. And then they just wear you down and wear you down. And then you have no confidence and no self-worth. So it doesn't even occur to you that you could leave. Because you're lucky that he loves you. It's really fucking good. It is like there are moments that are a little bit triggering because it's just like, fuck, this guy is so awful. But it's, oh God, I just love Into the Dark. It's so fucking good. Um, so yeah, it just started streaming. So if you're like, oh, I'm really bored or everybody's been sick lately. If you're like homesick, watch my Valentine. This is not even an ad. I just really fucking like this movie. <laughs> Go watch it now. <laughs> <laughs> we will not get any money from this. I just think it's really good. And everyone I've talked to from the movie is, like, super fucking cool. Um, and I just love Blumhouse. So, uh, so yeah, that was it. So, our Instagram is High Crime Pod. Our Facebook is High Crime Pod. Um, our Twitter is also High Crime Pod. And our website is highcrimepod.com. So, all pretty uniform. Um I'm forgetting something. Oh, if you want to email us, uh, info at highcrimepod.com. And, <laughs> and um, oh, please keep leaving us five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts. It really does make a difference. I mean, if, if fucking ParCast is asking people to give them five-star reviews, like, the little guys need some reviews. So do that if you're bored. It takes, like, 30 seconds. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, later, later buds. buds.